0: Joe! What about the neighbors? Oh, Miss Dear never spoke to any of them. In fact, according to the charm, they all tried to to avoid her like the plague. The neighbors, Brandon. Talk to every bloody one of them. But do it nicely. There's a woman in one of the flats who's Edmund Brighton's daughter. But I don't think we'll be able to, to give you any help in this murder. Murder? I didn't say that it was murder. Oh, come on, Sergeant. The whole house is crawling policemen. Murder squad, scientific squad, drug squad, and all the rest. Don't only there's all this carry-on when someone slips on a banana skin and happens to split their skull. That's the corridor <laughs> of the flat next door. You have already dreamed about it before. And eventually, at the end of the corridor, you see a person. Always the same person. Julia Dura. Your next door neighbor. The woman who lives in that flat. In your dreams, you always see her dressed as a striptease artist or a prostitute. In fact, that woman for you represents degradation, vice plant next door is a temple advice. You've referred to this woman before as someone who is not quite respectable. No,
1: she certainly isn't.
0: You not have known as the hippies were riddled with acid. They didn't see you. You didn't know they were blind.
1: Chow Chow, everyone. How is everybody doing today? That sounds amazing. It's what we Um. wanted to hear. (laughs) Welcome to episode 8, and it is 8. I checked before the show this time.
2: I did too, Uh,
1: actually. Oh, we're on... Dude, this show is going to go very smoothly, I think. Um, But again, you're actually listening to Chow Chow Chow. So, um, I should have said that before I said the show was going to run smooth. Already hit a speed bump. We so. always got episode 9. <laughs> if we don't have this lockdown by episode 10, I'm gonna pr- drink more. Um, <laughs> Wait, that's the problem though, I think. Oh my gosh. I forgot to turn my phone off. I'm sorry. Okay. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so on tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about Chris's
3: pick... That's the corridor of the flat next door. You have already <laughs> dreamed about it before. And I, I like. I, I had. I had to do that line. I, I've always loved that line from the movie. It's the dumbest line ever, and it rhymes for so for no reason. And that's why I like it. So and it rhymes yes. like twice. Yes, it's that's really weird. The corridor. So yes, lizard, lizard in a woman's skin, and um. Other than the Italian translation of that It doesn't have any other names Which is great for once Well, oh, no, it has schizo That's true, I forgot about that the yeah, American... That's that's the movie Eric's going to be
2: reviewing tonight Okay In a parallel dimension
3: <laughs> I spoke too soon
2: <laughs> um,
1: <clears throat> I did um, And we'll talk about this later But I'm actually really curious about it um, I got all the seconds of what was cut out of which release of the film, but nothing said anything about schizoid. So I'm wondering if <clears throat> this is just cuts that were made to releases under the name of a lizard woman's skin. So I'm really interested to hear um, Eric's two cents on this. Have you seen schizoid, Christopher?
3: No, I have not. Um, although at one point I had an old bootleg copy of the film on VHS, and I have no idea what version of the film that was. It definitely was credited uh, with the lizard title. It didn't. It didn't come in as the schizoid title, so that's probably what it was. But it was. Uh, it wasn't widescreen or anything. It was terrible. Nice.
2: I don't it's... want. I don't want you guys to get your hopes up or get too interested, though, because schizoid actually. It does follow the plot pretty closely. Um, I did watch, I did watch it here tonight, to the the Wizard in a Woman's Skin, uh, the full version, to see if I, there was anything possibly that I couldn't, or uh, that I thought was might have been left out of Schizoid. And really, all that I could see was the uh, the dog vivisection scene, which uh, I wasn't sure if I'd seen it in Schizoid. But once I saw it tonight, then I was sure that it was not in Schizoid. <laughs> You will know um, if you saw it, <laughs> right? Exactly. And then uh, I think they they do stray away from a lot of the investigation scenes, <clears throat> and it's more of just a straightforward, like just pot boiler mystery. Um,
1: now, in all honesty, um, which one did you like better?
2: I mean, we're like doing
1: the end of the show at the beginning of the show. We're like <laughs> mementoing this shit right now, but uh, right.
2: I, I did. I just wanted to get it out of the way because it, I didn't want people to think that I just watched this entirely different movie. Um, it was pretty close, and I don't know if you guys saw a movie that possibly had uh, scenes that were cut in with without any dubbing, and instead it just had s- subtitles. There was one scene in mine that did not have
1: um, American dubbing or subtitles. It was just yeah. Italian with nothing.
2: I think that that's really the one of the only other big scenes that was cut out. I think. Th- Schizoid is only like two and a half minutes shorter, so I think if you combine that scene with the the dog scene, you get a majority of that two minutes. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's why I wanted to bring it up right away, just to not get everyone super excited about my thoughts on Schizoid. Well, you but know that you get me excited when you bring stuff up right away. So, hmm. I'm not I'm not going to slow burn this one. It's a, uh, I did like Lizard in a Woman's Skin substantially better though. Really. Yeah.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, how was your week? Two weeks.
2: Ooh, what a tease. Um, <laughs> mine was. It's was kind of a weird mix of being very eventful and then periods of just being super bored and not a lot going on. But um, did finish a little bit of a book I was writing for mostly for a group of friends hey. of mine. But uh, maybe I'll I'll open it up for the masses people that are fans of old Nintendo video game Super Te- or Techno Super Bowl. Oh man, almost a cardinal sin. Techno Super Bowl, that's what it is. Instead and of Super there Techno Bowl. Right. Do not say Super Techno Bowl around fans of that game, or you will be castrated. <laughs> is there a
1: reason why? Is it just because why don't you know the name of the fucking game?
2: Exactly. It's kind of a nerd. You know how nerds are about getting facts straight no it's cool when i went into the store
1: asking for a woman in lizard skin they punched
2: me (laughs) so it's a it's a very different movie if that's the title
1: (laughs) exactly. oh it was great we might be doing the different movies tonight guys (laughs) Uh (laughs) which store did you go to i don't know but i have like uh iguana porn I don't know yeah, if that's the same thing, but we'll see. Uh, Chris, how was your little... Your...
3: My, hi- my hiatus from yeah. the podcast? Yeah. Uh, it was It was fine. We had another 14 or so inches of snow that got dumped on us. and uh, But since then, we've kind of thawed out. And um, I am officially on vacation as of this moment. So I'm hey. in good, good spirits. And the wife and I are going to Atlantic City for a few nights of uh, getting away from the kids and probably catching up on sleep if probably that's about it we'll be doing but um, we're not big gamblers but it's uh, it's only about an hour's or so drive from our house so um, it's a quick getaway we get somebody to watch the kids for a couple of days and we can um, kind of just retreat and retire for a little bit and get some, uh, get some de-stress time so we've been looking forward to it um so we're leaving tomorrow for that and I'm very excited to be going and uh couldn't think of a better way to kick off my vacation than uh, to talk about this Jalo with you dudes. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. And um the Jalo score website has actually um ra- uh, raked up 30 films at this point. So I'm um I can't believe it. I mean, I think I launched it with 15, so I've been doing a lot of watching and writing and and uh, analysis of this genre. So it's been fun. And so I'm excited. And, and I'm actually excited to take a little bit of a break. <clears> from it, so. Uh, so that I can come back fresh and, and start watching some more jolly. So
2: that's about so can we t- it for me. me. Can we take credit for that last boom of films you put up there?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was kind of sitting around going, eh, you know, this website, whatever. And then, um, you know, the, then, then the, the call came in. It was like, what's going on? What? Why haven't you updated your site? We need more stuff on your site. So, yeah, uh, I got started. I, so, so, yeah, I'm looking at it. it was, let's see. Um, Case of the Scorpion's Tale, I put out in April of 2013. And December 18th of 2013, I put out Tenebrae. So there was like a... There's a bit of know. a gap. A bit of a gap there when I was just kind of not caring too much.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you've got a it good happens. base of films there now for people to explore if you, yeah, if you'd want to take a little bit of a break now.
3: Well, and you know, the other thing is now that I've got this much data, I can start like thinking about other ways of analyzing the data. I was thinking about coming up with a secondary score that would be uh, the score of police. Uh, the police incompetency score Uh, (laughs) and basically kind of write a whole list of criteria that the police force or the investigators or the the official inspectors and detectives um, they have to meet these criteria and the more points they get the more uh, ineffective they are Um, which means that it's up to the amateur detective to uh, really do the work so Um, So, for example, Lizard and woman's Skin, they would get a terrible incompetency score because, really, um, the Inspector Corvin character and his team, they did all the work. So, um, you know, there really wasn't an amateur detective in this film at all. Um, So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, you know, graphs and charts and things like, um, you know, pick a year and uh, pick one of the criteria and let's see all the film's uh, in a bar chart or something
1: ridiculous like I <laughs> am a fan of everything you're saying
3: <laughs> <clears throat>
1: you have to go team with developers behind that I will make the pie graph for the cube <laughs> chart so
2: oh, wow <laughs> pie quotation marks there
3: would be no pun on that one. <laughs> right. oh.
2: so does that mean that male pubes would be excluded no
1: well,
2: <laughs> it's just a different kind of pie I guess <clears throat> that's the
1: crust <laughs> oh, wait Ugh.
2: I don't want to think of those two words together <laughs> in that context
1: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah we kind of ram right into that one <laughs> um so yeah cool good 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 um Uh, I told you guys that um, I was going to um, put the um, radio spot for Schizoid on before instead of the trailer. Did you guys get that? We did. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, I guess we could further ado...
2: Um, I have a
1: a brand new bottle of J&B here. I'm gonna open that up.
2: Is it the premium stuff?
1: No, I'm not a fancy pants guy like Alex.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A black bottle.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: What's the Italian word for black? Negro. Negro. I think. I hope. That's close. Yeah. It's all romantic language.
1: Really? Okay. So, um, uh, get your drinks out, guys, because this is going to be um, a much-talked-about episode here. Uh, because there will be much to talk about. And I'm not going to sell Eric short here, or get everyone too excited. But Eric's bringing the big guns. So, if, if you like hearing everything Eric says this show is going to be the best one yet because eric is bringing the goods that's right ladies (laughs) okay didn't mean to put you on the spot but i totally did so um so we're gonna start with the radio spot for schizoid that will go right now
0: schizoid is a motion picture of such biting gnawing terror it claws at your brain Schizoid, so mind-boggling, the following warning has been posted in the theater. Schizoid is not recommended viewing for persons with schizophrenic tendencies. Schizoid, the loss of reality, a personality split in two. It's terrifying, Doctor. This it's long corridor, and then thousands of bats attacking me. I run into a room. A woman is there. And I just plunged down to into her was it a dream or was it real don't miss schizoid an american international pictures release in color rated r schizoid it might even drive you out of your mind
1: and we're back wasn't that crazy it's not the same movie no, it's not. <laughs> that bat shit
3: on that poster is fucking ridiculous, dude. But, who's um, the Who's <laughs> the voice in there, de- de- describing the dream? That's That's nobody's voice. I heard in the movie. I think it was mine. <laughs> where
1: she's like kind of yelling and talking at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Oh, oh, okay. Talented. Yeah. So I try. I I, I have my fingers in different pies. I'm always looking for the next big thing. But um, Chris is going to take us down his pick right now and tell us a little bit about a lizard in a
2: woman's skin. Yes. You had to say it slowly that time, didn't you?
3: <laughs> as soon as I
1: said lizard, I'm like, shit, did I fuck that up already? <laughs>
3: Uh, so, do you, you guys want to go into the uh, plot recount here, scene by scene thing? Because I'm—I've got all my notes for that. I mean, um, we don't necessarily you, want, you want to, to go do
1: scene by scene. You know, I mean, we could just
3: hit the high points. Or did, oh, no! It. I guess I was—I was wondering if you wanted to do production notes first, or what? Oh, I right sure. yeah.
2: What's up? We to haven't you got then. that down yet? Yeah. Flip a
1: coin. One to not it.
3: All right, I'll—I'll I'll go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me rest my vocal cords Oh man, that j and b Smooth stuff
3: <laughs> So, Lizard and Woman's Skin Directed by Lucio Fulci I'm not getting into the production information Except for the fact that um, oh, yeah. This would appear to be Lucio Fulci's second um, Foray into the Giallo genre um, With his first one being a perversion story Or one on top of the other um, which got uh, a 61 on the Jalo score. Uh, lizard in a Woman's Skin gets well. You're just going to have to go to the site to find out. But um, dun dun dun. It's higher than it's high. I'll put it this way: it's higher than on acid. The version story, right? <laughs> and it's lower than Don't Torture a Duckling. So I make the argument in um, the write-up for Lizard that. Um, that Fulci is kind of progressing through the genre, um, as it relates to the score and getting more and more conventional. Uh, and when he gets to duckling, he's got, uh, I think an 89. Um, so it's, um, quite, quite a jump from 61. Um, yeah. and, and yet, um, you know, for people who know, um, the duckling Jalo, it's very different even though it, it can, it, um, it, it adheres to a lot of the genre conventions. It's very different. It's out in the, in the rural area and there's a lot of um, superstition that goes along with that movie. And there's uh, young boys are being killed. There's no women. Um, so it's, it's still definitely very, um, unique in, in a Fulci kind of way. Um, at any rate, so what's going on here in, in lizard and woman's skin? Well, first of all, um, we start the film with a dream sequence. Um, and we've got, um, the, the uh, confused dark haired woman who we will eventually find out is Carol Hammond um, she's trying to navigate a corridor in a train with crowded passengers who eventually become naked bodies um, who are just kind of writhing in this sexual orgy in this dream um, uh, but this woman continues to press on through these bodies and eventually finds herself falling and uh, as she's falling we see this other woman uh, the, this blonde woman who is um, going to be known as Julia Dewar juror, uh, and I forget what her um, it's Anita Strindberg I think is her act is the actress name yes um, and uh, the first thing I have to say before I even go any further is that uh, did they have breast implants this they far did. back yes they, they did. did and okay, those are I'm,
1: nasty looking
3: yeah because I'm <laughs> thinking they look way too round to be I mean, and but hard I I don't know the timeline here so yeah at any rate the two of these women meet on this bright red velvet mattress and start the lovemaking dun, dun, dun. Um, but the camera eventually cuts to this same dark-haired woman this Carol Hammond in bed alone by herself and it's revealed that she's having a dream so uh, she dark. wakes yes exactly and one of the things that we'll notice right away Is this painting behind her desk of a swan uh, with a very obvious vaginal kind of uh, thematic uh, imagery uh, that's added to this painting and we'll see that that swan kind of come to life a little bit later uh, in another dream sequence Um, but she gets up and she goes right to her desk and starts writing something down and um, uh, another girl comes in this is her um, stepdaughter uh, whose name is Joan? She comes in and um, just begin. They begin to talk, and there was something about this that I didn't honestly understand. What what Joan was asking? She said something like, "I'll take something from your study for the pharmacy. I'll I'll take something to study from your pharmacy," and I didn't even know what that meant. She said, "I don't know if she was talking about getting pills or." Uh, Did did you guys catch that line at all? No, I was actually
1: more confused at what their relationship was at the beginning. Right. It took me like seriously over half of the movie before I realized who the hell she was to her.
3: Well, and that happens with Deborah too because nobody knows who Deborah is. Yeah. um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I I think that's kind of what's a little bit cool about this movie is that they kind of just drop you right into the middle of this and you kind of have to figure it out um, instead of the slow introduction of you know these characters one by one. but um, So Joan uses the paper knife uh, to do something and then kind of jabs it back into this bouquet of flowers on Carol's desk. And there's a lot of kind of focusing in on that, that scene with the paper knife. And uh, Carol, while Joan's not looking, sh- shoves the, the paper that she's writing on into her desk so that no one can see what it is. And then when Joan leaves, she gets it back out again. Um, And then we cut to my favorite scene of the movie where um, Dr. Kerr, I think his name is, says, that's the corridor of the flat next door. You have already dreamed about it before.
2: Um, Is that a technique of psychoanalysis? Psychoanalysis? (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's called psychoanalytic haiku, I think.
2: Yeah, (laughs) and they have to have a lot of reverb on their
3: voice when they're doing it. (laughs) Exactly. So she recounts these details of the dream that we just witnessed, In the opening scene and her her therapist basically says look um, you're having this dream Uh, it's you know it's your current state of your anxiety is represented in this dream you're having this love-hate relationship with this woman who's not considered very respectable um, and that you were attracted her to her because of her lifestyle but you're also repulsed by her and uh and so that that it basically being offered this explanation the psychoanalysis explanation and we see um while she's explaining the dream to her analyst that she's all of her uh, all of her statements are being recorded uh, to a real real tape recorder in the background she's got a little microphone around her neck um so immediately after that uh we jump to the party scene at Julia's house um, and we've got, you know, Maricone's awesome jazzy score, with psychedelic stuff great. going on. Yeah, and she looks awesome. She's just sitting there kind of watching everyone uh, doing all their stuff. And um, what I really liked about this part was um, when they did the split screen and it's like, OK, here's all of this <clears throat> debauchery going on on the left side of the frame and this stuffy dinner party yeah. <laughs> with, um, with Carol and um, when, and Frank, the husband is sitting there and the father, um, we finally get a look at all of the main players in this thing sitting around the dinner table and uh, Edmund, who is Carol's father. Um, and it's Frank who um, is the junior partner at Edmund's law firm. And this woman, Deborah, who we find out eventually is Frank's personal secretary, but, For most of the film you're like well what is this woman doing here like why is she here Um, so the party's very loud and um, you can tell that Joan is into it she's like tapping her foot while no one's looking and um, Edmund later suggests um, to Carol that she uh, drink a little bit and get drunk and she wouldn't have to spend so much time in therapy um, which I think is great advice for everybody Um, works for me So, um, towards the end of the scene, um, Frank and Edmund have a little scene at the end where they talk about maybe getting away for a vacation, and Frank says he can't because uh, he's got too much work to do with Edmund's law firm. Um, and Edmund goes out in the uh, in the rain and stops at this really gawky, flashy Austin Powers car. Totally. Um, and just looks at it in disgust and then walks over to his uh car and tells his driver to take him home so um you guys want to jump in at any <clears throat> point and yeah uh, talk about what we're what we're doing here <clears throat> we move on? well just
1: um a few bits for me at least um i'm gonna get all nerdy here but that fucking chinchilla fucking coat she had on was <laughs> fucking amazing and being one of the naked people in the train that she's running by or in the hallway that she's running by must have felt sublime (laughs) i'm just gonna come out and say it um but there's a lot of stuff here like um you you can see like for instance this whole opening really reminds me of like cronenberg like it like with like shivers you know like as like something that might have influenced that or something like that and then um, going from there like <clears throat> when they're in the apartment and the dad's talking to Luke Skywalker or Mark Hamill or her <laughs> husband or whatever his name is um, it looks just like the Devil's advocate like the apartments in that movie You know what I'm saying? And there's just so much cool... um, Little shit like that. And... um, But, like, one of the things about this movie that is really... What I thought was really neat was the palette that they used in this. Because it's so muted earth tones compared to how if this movie took place in Italy, let's say. Like, the colors would be more vibrant and more big. And, yeah, they had the loud car with all the paint on it, all crazy. And there'll be some other stuff later that's a little crazy. But for the most part, it's all browns and grays with, like, little accents of red and orange. And um, that was kind of... You know those things that... When you watch these movies, you expect certain things, but when they change it up a little, it's kind of refreshing, like the gloves in um, Black Belly of the Tarantula, you know, or right. something like that, just something little that gives it a little different twinge to it is just really, really, really cool. And I call bullshit on the blonde having underwear on during the dream sequence. I don't think that would have happened. I'm just going <laughs> to say doesn't it. exist in dreams
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: not those kind of dreams man
3: when when carol drops her uh her, her her chinchilla she's kind of got nothing on underneath that so yeah we see that again later in uh, another dream sequence um and then uh
1: but yeah dude, those split screens are great and um a little bit later there's like a dual focus shot that's great like just there, there was some stuff. Now, um, should, I guess, what well, we could talk about it later. Okay,
2: let's power through here. Eric, do you have? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I was just gonna say, echoing a lot of your sentiments. Um, you can pretty much tell that this is gonna be a little bit of a different movie than we've we've been watching, um, with the color palettes. And I was, as kind of a, a music nerd, I was really enjoying the Ennio Morricone score, which. Um, some of it is reminiscent of other films that he's scored but the way that this one opened up with kind of a buzzing, a strange buzzing uh, sound or noise kind of uh, can't think of the word for it now but it, it kind of takes you it catches you off guard a little bit and then as soon as it goes into the lovemaking scene then it's that very flowy um, sweeping Morricone-type style but uh, with that That score, you can already tell it's gonna be a little bit different. And then, yeah, the fact that it's now taking place in London, so you get kind of this dichotomy of of the rich upper class, the lawyers in their um, stiff suits, and then these hippies in their Austin Powers cars, um, (laughs) right, having these big drug fueled orgies. So it's uh, it's stuff that um, he might. Of course, he might be latching on to the Giallo scene around this time, 1971, 72, but at the same time, he's kind of Fulci's kind of paving his own path, um, like you said in your Giallo score. Uh, he's he's taking it his own direction. It seems like and I, that you can already see that right away here. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And the other thing that I like is that he's cast, um, at least for his primary roles, he's cast English-speaking people. So. I don't know how many of the voices actually match the characters but you can see that a lot of their dubbing matches up with um with with the visuals with their lips so uh, you know that that kind of makes it a little bit more real for me when I'm watching it even though I'm I've gotten so used to watching dubbed in movies that it doesn't bother me anymore but yeah um, I always find that a, a little bit you know and 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 Perversion story was the same way cuz it was uh, Jean Sorel was in the other one And um, he's in both of those movies, and hes uh, I guess he's English-speaking. I don't know what his real voice sounds like, but um, he doesn't sound the same between these two movies, for sure. (laughs) Um, So I don't know um, how well he speaks English. And and I often wonder, too, and this is kind of getting off track, but I often wonder, like, if they've got a scene where one of the actors speaks English and the other one only speaks Italian, how do they – I guess somehow they know to kill They just each other. know their
1: they know their lines, and they, they know I was watching line. I was watching Zombie the other day, and in the beginning of the movie, when the two cops are on the boat, mm-hmm. one of them is like bok 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 bok, <laughs> and then the other one's like, "Yeah, we should probably call this in." You know, it's like <laughs> one um, of them was clucking. <clears throat> yeah, but I know that um I I believe the um dubbing was recorded at Pinewood Studios in the UK. So um there's it's probably a better chance that the English speaking people got to do their own dubs, but I don't know for certain if that actually happened.
3: And at the very least it's not your, your normal cast of <clears> voice <throat> that you've that you've heard a million times. So that makes the movie a little bit more unique in that way too. So okay great um so let's um let's get back to the the plot here so the next day we have edmund and frank um they're talking about different work things that they're that are going on different cases um and then towards the end of the scene all of a sudden we get a phone call um for edmund and only his side of the conversation is revealed um edmund is saying uh, can I help you? And uh, Mrs. Smith, uh, with a you know kind of a qu- puzzled look on his face, and then he says, "A member of my family." Um, and then all of a sudden, it's hello, hello, and the call is disconnected. Um, so Frank is about to leave, and Edmund asks him if he's being unfaithful, un- unfaithful to Carol. And Frank, of course, says, you- "You're joking, of course." And there's a a great little scene where you know you've got this kind of almost like a shrine of Carol's picture um, that are really
1: freaky looking.
3: Yeah. Like that's not almost,
1: the kind of pictures you would have of your daughter. No. <laughs> and
3: and the, the one that's in that scene almost looks like she's a saint or some sort of a religious figure. Yeah. And um, with the flower and he, and Frank is kind of standing there and kind of caught, but you know, tries to cover his tracks. So um, right after this scene, um, we see uh, the Austin Powers car again, and it's parked outside a cottage. And another pull- car pulls up, and it's Frank and his Jaguar. And he runs over to the door, and um, he's let in um, by this figure. It appears to be a woman, but we don't know who it is. And they they start their embrace. And uh, I don't think they, they showed who it was at that point. They didn't, no. Okay. Um, So after that, uh, we've got another dream sequence. Um, and this time, um, Carol is on the train corridor again with all the hippies. Um, and then they cut to this weird kind of surreal thing with all of Carol's family members. And they've got like kind of dead faces and they're zombified sitting in chairs and, and, um, there's a, uh, there's one of Joan and she's, um, Holding, uh, She's got her hands down by her stomach and she's holding her intestines. I don't know if that was in the the cut that you guys saw. I think that was probably cut out. I don't think
1: that was in Schizoid. That was in mine.
3: (laughs) And then, of course, we have the evil vaginal goose who has escaped uh, from the bedroom painting and comes alive and chases her through this courtyard. Um, And the first thing that I was reminded of, and I don't know, tell me if you guys think that I'm crazy, but... There's a scene in Pink Floyd's The Wall where they do an animated version of Goodbye Goodbye Blue Sky. And it just, for some reason, the animation in that scene looked like that. Yeah, was... it looks like the
1: old Lord of the Rings, you know, like right. that same kind of, yeah.
3: Exactly. I
1: don't know why. I was why, cracking though. up. I was cracking up.
3: Yeah, it's pretty
2: wild. Wild stuff. You wouldn't be cracking up if that was happening to you. Well, no, but it
1: was just like, it's not something you expect to see in a movie like this. You know, <laughs> right. it was just like, I was like, what the fuck?
2: Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. was well, I mean, uh, like a mixture uh, of being freaked out and like having this nervous laughter. Yeah, <laughs>
3: exactly. Uh, you could tell that, I guess, there was, you know, this surrealistic um, art kind of movement that, you know, um, that Fulci wanted to kind of to... To lend to, I think that you know it's been done in some of the earlier films. I, I've noticed that the Italians, a lot of times, they put stuff in their movies that's that's culturally current to to make sure that they're that they're cashing in on whatever's popular so that they can get as many people to to see their movies as they can. Um, but at any rate, um, we see from this scene, we see um, uh, Julia uh, approaching in her big black thigh high boots and walking towards carol who's got her um her fur and her white scarf and uh, all of a sudden carol pulls out a paper knife and stabs julia uh several times in the chest and the stomach and um julia collapses on the bed um and carol lunges onto her, her her fur falls off And she's basically just naked with a white scarf and uh, plunging this dagger further into Julia's body. Um, And once the the deed is done, Carol turns and looks up into the corner of the room and sees um, these two hippies uh, sitting on the balcony. And they've got this very weird look on their faces as if they're in some sort of a trance. And uh, Carol just kind of freaks out and runs away. Uh, she leaves her white scarf behind and her coat behind and, um, as, runs you, down, would. as you would and yeah. runs down this very long <clears throat> corridor, um, and falls back, uh, falls down this long corridor. Uh, we get a, a, a little bit of a pube shot. I think if you guys saw that, I don't know if you saw that, yep. um, very quickly. And, um, the dream ends with, um, a, the scene, uh, settling on Julia's body and the, um, in the bed, uh, so we have uh, another dream sequence. I think it's this, the only the only other one of the movie. Actually, I don't think there's any more dream sequences. Um, so, did you guys want to talk about this second? Uh,
2: did you have second? all of that in Schizoid, Eric? Um, looking back on it, uh, from what I can remember, um, it just it seemed like it was there, but it it definitely did not seem like it was as extended um, with some, especially some of the gorier shots. Um, I think they were a lot more restrained with with the schizoid cut but they did still include it to show you what was going on in her strange schizophrenic dream
1: and so, what about her running down the hallway
2: yeah that was all I'm pretty sure that was all included right on yeah I know nothing too exciting here
1: <laughs> no <laughs> nothing too exciting just murder
3: <laughs> lesbianism so from this uh, scene we go right into another therapy session and Carol is talking about this death dream with Dr. Kerr and uh, Dr. Kerr decides that the dream is uh, a positive sign it's liberation from, ha- from her anxiety issues and progress so she's making progress in her therapy um, and Carol says well, what about the two hippies and um, Dr. Kerr says well they were part of your dream too they were witnesses you needed somebody to see uh, you commit this murder so that you would have validation and so that you would uh, to reinforce uh, the liberation that, that's happening here what and a so, bunch of hokum <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, this
2: doctor's a quack
3: <laughs> so, Carol <laughs> so Carol says uh well, I, I need to figure out how to make it up to Julia Dewar and the next scene we've got this awesome shot, um, which looks a lot like uh, some of the uh, American, yeah, uh, American uh, '70s crime shows with the the blue the the blue um, siren light on top of the uh, cop car going through London, and uh, we are uh, finally first introduced to. Uh, Inspector Corvin and Sergeant Brandon who have been uh, assigned to this investigation. We hear that uh, the dispatcher is is sending them to uh, Julia Dewar's house. Uh, Her body has been found. And um, we we get the very first of many, many annoying uh, whistling uh, things. Fucking
1: Jesus Christ.
3: Inspector Corvin does. First raspberry. (laughs) yeah. <laughs> that's a big one I'll even give you a raspberry on that jeez man it's um so so Inspector Corbin really likes to whistle while he's processing information in his but head but did you notice that like
1: when he first started doing it it wasn't matching his mouth not at all I and I was the whole movie. I was just like who the fuck is doing that like, yeah. I didn't know and, I was and, waiting you know,
2: what... for it to serve a purpose and <laughs>
3: And whistling doesn't have a language barrier, so it's not like they had to dub it you know, an English version of the whistling versus an Italian version of the whistling. But uh
2: yeah, so he was blowing raspberries like creepy.
1: It would
3: just be nice if it had more
1: of a melodic structure to it. It was just high and fuck. Well the thing is
3: yeah, it definitely echoes it echoes the theme, but you don't really realize that at the time And, and coupled with the fact that he, he's so rude about it like people are in the middle of talking to him and he starts whistling <laughs> and it's just like what are you doing so and yeah so that if i had any pet peeve or anything to say at all about this and and you know it's not my only critique of the movie but if i could think of only if i only had to think of one thing that i didn't like it would be corvin and his whistling for sure
2: like um, nobody reacted to it or yeah said it's just anything like he, about it
3: he just does it this is what out. he does Yeah. so the police arrive on the scene and um
1: you know what I mean they passed me up because they were chasing down a dope fiend I was <laughs> rhyming
3: I'm so sorry I can't believe I Dr. just did Creep. that <laughs> wow uh, so we <laughs> we find uh, a dead Julia jur and uh, we find lots of drugs everywhere uh, cocaine hashish marijuana And, um, so Corbin asks Brandon to go question the neighbors. Um, so he goes over to, um, the Hammond flat and Carol and Joan, uh, are there and they deny ever meeting Julia. Um, they ask him about the night of the murder. Um, Deborah doesn't say anything, but they talk about, yeah, they remember that there was rain and that there was thunder, but that's all they
1: remember. The best part of this is the cops like, you know, it happened Saturday or Sunday probably Monday you know what it was let's say Monday it (laughs) was just
3: yeah and and there's like a a whole like weird zooming out shot going on while he's saying this and it's just like he's just pacing around and rattling off that it could have happened on
2: three different occasions you know (laughs) this is really strange it's like he was being condescending Because he was talking to women or something. I felt like he
1: didn't even want to be there. He
2: was like, I really don't know
1: what I'm doing here. Um, But I got sent over here, so I got to do my job.
3: (laughs) The boy has wit. So, um, he leaves, and um, Frank gets a call at work. Uh, I don't know if it was Carol. It's not really clear whether Carol calls him directly or somebody else calls him to say that Julia's dead and Carol is very upset about it, and so he goes home to be with her um now the next scene is the one that i have that was in italian same here but i I did not have
1: subtitles on it
3: yeah i did look up a version of the film that had subtitles basically um uh the scene starts out with frank walking in and joan walking up to him and saying that carol's been looking for her fur coat and she can't find it um and then deborah walks over and says that mrs gordon the woman who lives on the third floor said that they found julia's body and that she was strangled with the fur next to her um the next scene i have after that um was a dinner scene um and basically just lots of close-ups with everybody being nervous and then the phone rings and it's mrs gordon from the third floor and she calls to say that she has made a mistake. That um, Julia wasn't strangled; that she was actually stabbed with a paper knife. And of course, Carol now is putting two and two together and realizing that these details are way too uh, coincidental uh, to be coincidental. Um, and they're they're starting to all come come together. Um, so the third scene that I have in Italian, she runs over to her bedroom to look for the paper knife, um, but it's not there, and. Um, now she's realizing that it was the same uh, method of murder that was in the dream and Frank comes in to console her Um, and that's all the scenes I have in Italian after that it goes back to uh, to English but I have seen a scene
1: the scene after that it's there's no dialogue in it I don't think but that was cut from most releases where she's watching Deborah and Joan sitting at a table and she's just kind of freaking out or whatever
3: yep and she grabs a cigarette out of that big um case of cigarettes yeah and right after that she runs into the body so um so so first frank goes into the scene of the crime to ask if he can see the body um and corvin's like why would you want to see the body and he said oh curiosity
1: (laughs) sounds good by (laughs) me
3: And I think that they're basically letting them do whatever they want because Edmund is like this big wig in the government or something and they can't piss him off. So so, um, so um, they show him the fur coat and Frank denies that he's ever seen it before. Um, and then we have that scene that you mentioned, Creep, and then Carol walks in. Um, she walks over. And this... I thought this was pretty cool, actually. She's She walks in and I don't... I think they meant to give you the impression that she didn't see the body yet because there's so many flash bulbs going off um and the flash bulbs illuminate her face her face is really uh washed out and then finally the last flash bulb goes off and you see there her her face in, in regular color and she's now finally put eyes on the body and um she sees the boots she sees the stab wounds, she sees the dead body and um Then she takes a look up to the corner where she had seen the hippies uh, and then she collapses uh, and and faints to the floor so um, they uh, they they, I guess they basically deal with Carol and and take her back and put her in bed and um, the next scene we have uh, Edmund and Frank walking uh, the dogs from Edmund's ridiculously huge castle so uh, British and it was very cool looking but it was just like wow you know this guy obviously is supposed to have a ton of cash <laughs> um, so of yeah exactly a lot of pounds um, and you know you're talking about old inherited money here we're not talking about McMansions um, at any rate so they're discussing the case and, and Frank asks Edmund if he can use some of his clout to get a look at the case um and so then they move into um, Corvin, who is sitting with the chief uh, talking about the details, and then all of a sudden uh, a call comes in that someone has confessed to the murder. Uh, so they go and they question the suspect who looks way too much like the male hippie. Yeah, uh, That confused the hell out of me the first couple of times I watched this, but it's clearly, if you look at
2: it closely, <clears throat> not the same person. one head has um, an Irish accent. Yes. Kind of,
3: kind of. A hey, brother, George. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they question him, and uh, it turns out that you know first they didn't they didn't get fingerprints to, to try and match against the the prints that they had, um, and Corbin's kind of pissed about that. Um, and then um, this suspect basically says he stabbed her with a dagger, um, and then the chief is like, "Well, don't you mean the paper knife?" And it's like, "Well, you know, you can't you can't really like lead the witness at this point." So they. They just escort him out and assume that he is just trying to get some sort of a, of a, I don't know what. they Dude, assume. he had a tube of guts. He had a tube of guts. That's true. What the hell?
2: Put him on cat guts. I mean, yeah, he's still psychotic, but
1: this part right here is when I'm like, okay, the cop in this movie, I don't know how to read anymore because he's like, oh, I have a suspect who has pieces of a body maybe in a tube. He obviously is innocent and didn't do it. Let's look <laughs> elsewhere. He
3: just yeah, wanted I a reason
2: the... to send that guy to the archives.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> You'll enjoy power,
2: he's on a power trip.
3: Yeah, I, I watched that scene a couple of times trying to figure out specifically what it was that gave them the, the proof they needed that he was just faking it. But, I mean, the but only then thing who I got. sent
1: him in? Like, did some? do you think the. Dad paid him to go do that. I don't know. Like never it, nothing that. makes sense. Okay, it doesn't matter.
3: Yeah, I never. Th- I just assumed that he was just some 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 whack job who needed to get the the attention of somebody because he was you know just nuts and decided, hey, I'll go confess to this murder so people will pay attention to me.
2: Is that is that kind of a Fulchy thing? Because he does that slightly and don't torture a duckling with with actually a Florinda Balkans character. I yes. I believe it. she She's kind of... They kind of want the spotlight. or they... It's like this, this weird psychotic person that just wants to claim... Like the guy that wanted to claim the murder of Jean Benet Ramsey a couple of years ago. That right. That weirdo who... Yeah. I There's guess so. That I, I like that.
3: I guess that, you know, when you're making these movies, you know, you want to have this kind of false accusation thing happening or, you know, people think okay we've captured the murderer let's go find out and you know uh, with, with with the traditional giallo you, you do that so that the murderer can go kill somebody again but uh-huh. in this particular case that wasn't going to happen because it's just the way that the film is set up so um, so at any rate would uh, they let him go and Carol is uh, tries to get on with her life she goes shopping um, but while she's out with Joan she sees the two hippies from the dream and she's beside herself she can't she thinks she's going crazy so they follow the hippies to the commune and Joan goes up and asks them if they'd ever seen her before, but they deny it. Um, and Joan guesses that, uh, if they were friends with Julia, that she'd probably seen them going in and out of the house at some point, And, you know, they subconsciously landed in her dream. And that explains away why, you know, explains that away. Um, so meanwhile we have, um, we're back with Corvin and forensics is there and they're telling him, um, that there's a whole bunch of wet footprints in the house, but there are no wet footprints around the murderer's uh, the murderer's mattress, uh, where the where the body was found. Um, so they um, basically figure that the only people who could have been in there to commit the murder were people who had uh, dry feet. Um, so Corvin basically uh, deduces that you know a person had come from the inside of the house since it was raining that night. And so they send um, Brandon back over to the Hammonds and get them all to uh, finger a decoy photo to lift their fingerprints. Which was great. That was yeah.
1: really smart. That was just that was a really cool bit.
2: That's why and they you know, feel the uh, bumbling detective score.
3: Yeah, definitely. They <laughs> they would lose points for that for sure. Um, but you know it's 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 suspect. You know, if you're ever in a situation where uh, someone comes in and hands five or six or seven copies of the same picture to look at, uh, you know it's a decoy because you could just right. hand the same picture around uh, and just pass it around and look at it if they really wanted you to look at it. So. <laughs> um, but uh, at any rate, um, they, they eventually uh, take the prints off these and it uh, turns out to be Carol uh, who's matching the fingerprints. Um, they arrest Carol and um, Edmund goes and bails her out. Um, and I think that's, Creep, that was the scene you were talking about, the double focus scene. Um, <clears throat> well, the scene at the in the visiting room with the
1: reflections in the glass, it, it yeah. reminded me of, like, when you would go to, like, Sears to get your portraits done, like, back in the olden times when they would put, <laughs> right. like, your picture and then, like, a weird kind of transparent
2: other picture of you like those old Olin Mills or whatever yeah dude <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that was a pretty cool shot I like that because you got to
3: see both both characters reactions at the same time
2: yeah um, remind me I got a I got a picture like that I need to send to you guys I <laughs> want
3: to
1: see it Great. Right
2: right.
3: <laughs> so um, Corvin is uh, kind of still pondering this motive he can't figure out why she would be doing this even though all the proof points to Carol Um, They go back and talk to the therapist, Edmund and Frank. They tried to decide uh, on a defense um, of of split personality. And it's basically talked about that at some point there was another case that they presided over, the Bartleby case, where um, the the defendant got off. Uh, He was acquitted because he was able to prove that he was completely asleep and his other personality committed the murder. Um, so they're um, talking about using that same defense for Carol Um, but of course Edmund is wondering you know if the hippies were real then why haven't they come forward to to say that they saw something Um, so they uh, cut over to Frank who's back at the cottage again we see the Austin Powers car and at this point if you thought it was Julia's um, it's clearly not because she's dead um so it's revealed that Deborah is the woman he's having an affair with. And so again, that's her car. And that's her car. Uh, and so we really still don't know who Deborah is because it hasn't really been explained until the next couple of scenes later. Um, but they talk about how Carol has been moved to a clinic while she awaits the trial. Um, and Frank talks about how this Bartleby case came around when Carol was working uh, as a clerk for. Uh, her father, and so um, it's obvious that Carol got the idea, uh, or had, has already heard about this Bartleby case uh, thing, um, as, as well as uh, as well as Frank, as well as uh, and as well as Edmund. Um, so uh, Frank and uh, Deborah start to have sex, and they show uh, somebody with a camera out uh, in the window taking pictures. Snap never We're screw up.
2: with an open window who could it be now
3: <laughs> 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 so i'm going to pause for a uh, commentary break if there, if there needs to be... <clears throat>
1: Um, let me see here I, i'm holding back a little because it's not really relevant to the plot yeah i mean there's a lot of so um extra- I, I'm I'm cool for right now. There, there's a part coming up here that um, I had to stop uh, the movie because I was laughing so hard. So, um, is it the forensic scientist? No. <laughs> I was going to throw up that whole thing. Let's see if
3: you can figure it out. Go ahead. I think it's when Carol takes a nosedive onto the grassy nose. That's totally what <laughs> it is, dude.
1: <laughs> I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was just the most ridiculous thing. She wasn't even going that fast. And she just totally face plants. And it's in the super wide shot. Oh my god, dude. I was cracking up laughing so hard.
3: I would love to know if that was scripted.
2: <laughs> well uh walking around on ice up here all the time i can kind of sympathize with her yeah oh, just oh,
3: by explaining that she needed to do a face plant into the into the hill <laughs> so so yes that's the scene that comes next carol is lounging in the courtyard and male hippie uh kind of appears out of the bushes so carol sees something and just just darts away to the to the right of the screen and um she takes that uh, amazing nosedive right into the hill. I think he started off as a comedic director. So.
2: <laughs> Might
3: have been. Maybe. It was really the only funny thing in the whole movie. And apparently
1: she started out as someone who did not know how to walk. So um, it's all <laughs> good.
3: So she's convinced she's being chased. She runs through a series of corridors. She goes into a private clinic. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of atmosphere here. There's a scene where it looks like there's somebody with scissors that are about to come through the curtain and stab her. And meanwhile, it's just a shadow of of a clinician who's getting his uh, instruments ready for whatever they're going to do. It's like, I was looking for these. <laughs> um, and then finally, she goes through a few more doors and enters the room uh, with the dogs. And uh, the, the infamous dog scene, which has absolutely no... Play or meaning other than you know to gross people out and you know if you're if you're going to go with the idea that this movie is kind of like a nightmare then i can understand that you know maybe this is some sort of surreal detail inside then i me.
1: wish the doctor would have said i don't know what you're talking about instead of <laughs> i i can't believe that door was unlocked <laughs> that's where we're doing our experiments on cut open dogs it's like <laughs>
2: I've seen some pretty horrific images of vivisection and animal testing but I I really could not figure out what the heck they were trying to accomplish with this test Um, like
1: honestly I think because if you, okay this is me getting freaky here but every time you see like someone eviscerated or disemboweled or something in this movie whether it's in her dreams or the dogs they look like um what a vag looks like with a speculum in it. I don't know if you guys no. um, do many pap smears, but um
2: <laughs> they're very vaggy. Do you do you advertise for, for them in, in the paper down there <clears> or something?
1: I can't do it in the paper, I'm not certified. No. So uh, <laughs> it's all black market back alley right. stuff. <laughs> but if you need your pap smeared I'm the guy to talk to.
2: I don't think that's really what goes on during... <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just, it, it's very vaggy looking. Like
2: all Yeah, you things. mentioned that before with a swan too. Yep. Yeah, it's
3: pretty... Yeah, there's, I don't know. There's, a, there's a lot of that imagery in this movie for sure.
2: A lot of movies have phallic imagery, this one has...
3: Vaggy imagery.
2: Vaggy imagery. Yep. Yeah.
3: You know, and to reinforce the fact that uh, there's this lesbian relationship happening. The, in the cats.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did they use dogs instead of cats? Hmm. Interesting. True enough. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we'll, Sorry. Just, we'll, just have
3: to, we'll just have to ponder that as a rhetorical question. Derailed <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, anyway. the
1: train. My bad.
3: So, um, so Carol faints. Obviously, who wouldn't after seeing that? And, uh, when she comes to The doctor's there and they try To convince her that it was all just a Hallucination, um I'm very sorry that we left that door open We had no idea, uh That you would be chased by Hallucination of a hippie Um So, uh, that's all explained away Basically, And uh, the next scene we have Edmund, uh, showing, um Frank the photos that were taken Of, of he and Deborah Um and frank confesses that he's been having an affair with deborah for the past two years um and i guess we we i guess we understand now that she's his assistant um he talks about how she helped him out when he first came over here whatever that means um and she introduced him to edmund and got him a job or something so i i still don't really know who deborah is or what she does um other than have sex with skywalker Skywalker. yeah (laughs) so um So then Edmund reminds Frank about the phone call, which is a a big thing here in this movie. Um, He says, uh, let's suppose that this call was from Julia Dewar attempting to blackmail you about the affair. Um, Remember what I had asked you when you were here? You asked me if I would be unfaithful to Carol uh, when that call came in. Um, Then Edmund uh, reveals that he's been working with Dr. Kerr, who had given him all of the tapes from Carol Sessions and says, did you know that Carol always wrote down her dreams? Um, so the theory is that Frank, uh, read this dream diary, um, and recreated the murder in reality to match the dream, um, so that he could murder Julia who was blackmailing him about his affair. Um, and put the, um, blame on Carol so that ultimately he could be with Deborah. Um, so that sounds like a pretty good theory to me, and Edmund tells uh, Corvin uh, this theory, with Frank being there. And This is a very all-very-big-incestuous relationship of people. Um, We're all very British about it. Like, no one raises their
1: voice, no one gets upset. Yeah, it's but, like, hello everybody, this is how this is going right now. It's very polite, it's nice.
3: Yeah, so Edmund talks a lot like this. He's um, amazing. He's great, I, I thought he was awesome. <laughs> So Frank basically is denying this. He's like, there's no way that a dream diary could have gotten all these details correct. Um, there's no way that, that I could have ever been able to do this from just a, a scribble on a dream diary. Uh, so Frank goes back and he and Joan are trying to find this um, this dream diary in the drawer. Uh, and basically he tells Joan that uh, he's now a new suspect, that the police have released information in the newspaper, that they have a new uh, suspect, or that they're looking at another suspect. But now they have she's a... his daughter, right? She's his daughter from a previous marriage. From okay,
1: because like the way they shot that scene when it first opens, how she's in the little short dress and she's laying on the bed, yep, like and we're looking like over her thighs at him is way too like sensual kind of thing for yeah. uh, father daughter to be nosing around i don't know it's just like i was very confused i kept thinking that they were going to say like oh she's really not your daughter either she's
3: your mistress or i don't know like that whole thing just felt kind of weird it was it was it was odd and it was a little um skeevy Um, but uh basically um like i said they 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 reveal that the police have have revealed in the papers that they have another suspect, but they haven't named any names, uh, which is important to to know for later. Um, So, uh, meanwhile, Carol is released from the clinic and she's moved over to I guess uh, when they say Green Hill, I think that's Edmund's big castle. Not the one Uh, she fell on. Right. This (laughs) this is not the 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 knob. Exactly. Um, so she's out riding on her horseback And she sees uh, the female hippie uh, mm. I think her name is Jenny Yep It is uh, We get that later down um, So the hippie says Look bring $20 to the Catholic Church And uh, you want to know Who killed Julia We'll let you know So bring 20, 20 quid to the Catholic Church uh, I forget what the name of it was So Carol decides that she's going to have the driver drop her off at this church. Um, Makes sense. And she walks in and is trapped inside. Um, and she starts running through what looks like these catacombs mm-hmm. uh, underground, which was kind of very cool. It reminded me of, uh, of uh, Inferno a little bit. Um, actually, this scene has got a lot of Argento going on. Um, and actually you know, because both Inferno and Suspiria, which there's a scene in here that reminds me of Suspiria. They came a lot later. So you could, you could say that, uh, Fulci was, you know, the inspiration for these two movies a little bit. Um, anyway, someone is following, uh, Carol. Uh, she climbs up this humongous spiral staircase with these four air conditioner units at the bottom. Um, she gets to the very top and she's, uh, trying to avoid being stalked, you know, being noticed by the stalker. Um, And suddenly she trips on this switch and sets off the pipe. organ. Oh,
1: my God. She like leans on it and then was like, what happened? And looking around and it's just like, turn around.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Get your booty off of that thing.
3: (laughs) Right. And for some reason, the pipe organ is set to automatically play scary music.
2: Uh, <laughs> like any church would
3: there Right is. we don't yeah. really know why It's not uh, Bach or anything It's just scary atonal organ music So the stalker runs after her And chases her through some more corridors And passageways um, Then Carol comes to the room with the bats um, And the bats attack While the stalker is trying to break down the door And here's the scene that reminds me Of the barbed wire room scene In Suspiria Where you know, you've got the you've got the imminent doom on the other side of the door trying to break through and you've got the victim who builds this makeshift ladder with five or six pieces of furniture to get to a window that's all the way at the top of the, of the frame. Um, and of course in Suspiria, um, yeah. the girl climbs through and falls into the, uh, into the barbed wire room. Uh, but in this case, Carol gets to the window and now she's out on the, on the roof. Um, and, uh, I believe the killer gets through and stabs her in the arm or the, the hippie. Um, but she makes it out the window and is walking kind of staggering, you know, in shock and, and totally out of it, um, down the rooftop, uh, and collapses. Uh, and meanwhile, the, um, the hippie comes out and gets to the point where he's just about to jumps on top of her and is about to stab her and is scared off by someone with a rifle. Who doesn't shoot him,
1: but
2: says he's got <laughs> like, even me! <laughs> Thank you for the raspberry meter. I, yeah, I actually wrote it down. I, I was like, maybe Creep will be proud of me. But I, I wrote, why did he wait until the very last second to shoot?
1: Oh my god. I could have
2: scared and him I off right away. again. I thought he was
1: going to like go, hey, are you all right? It's just like, give me my close-up. I'm out of
3: here. <laughs> You're my paycheck. But was he supposed to be somebody who was with the church and just happened to be on the roof, or and was where this? Where the a...
1: fuck is he? Because you don't even see that he's on the roof. No, he could have been at Euro Disney, hanging out. Like, know something.
2: <laughs> you know, like you
1: never see where he is.
2: <laughs> what do your directors call that? A establishing shot?
1: Yeah, I don't yeah. Do either. They suck. It takes a. <laughs> <laughs>
3: cut to the cut to the chase here
1: anybody got time for that
3: <laughs> so uh, the police arrive right after that and save Carol and, uh, let the, the bloody guy on the motorcycle get away yes he rides away you know. in the opposite direction <laughs> without getting caught oh god and you know what also is confusing about the scene is that at the same time that the male hippie is riding his motorcycle Joan is also riding a motorcycle. Yep. Um, And she pays a visit to Jenny at the art studio, who's doing this interesting dip knives in paint and throw them at a large canvas. Hell yeah. Which was kind of interesting to watch. Um, And she tells him that the redhead, we'll call him the redhead now. We don't have to call him the male hippie anymore. The redhead has asked uh, Joan to meet him there. So... um, uh, what's let's see, we get to the next scene where Corvin and Edmund, well, or, or no, Corvin is just, following. We
1: have to just say that um, Jenny takes Joan's hand with the money in it and shoves it down her pants. And <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought yeah. this movie was about to get really, really good and then it cuts.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, in the schizoid version. No, I'm just kidding.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But did you guys even understand what the two of them were talking about? No. You know, I, I asked you to get that thing for me last time or.
1: Well, and then they made it. They, she I can't remember. It almost sounded like she was saying like, if you would have just done this already, we would be done or something like that. You know, like yeah, right. it was alluding what it seemed to me was she was saying, if you would have just killed her, we'd be done with this already. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But then she's acting like she doesn't even know who the fuck the redhead is. Right you know so that whole thing was like really weird to me it's just like
3: a whole cluster of red herrings that you know were just thrown
2: in there to, to throw everybody off when you're watching it I guess like they almost wrote themselves into a corner or something right exactly
1: or, or it was like a like a hey just in case none of this shit works out yeah. say a bunch of stuff right now just just do it <laughs>
3: We'll put yeah, it I thought it
2: was actually a really cool twist when she came in and and uh, Jenny, you said it was throwing the knives, and then you realize, oh, these two know each other; they go back. They've got a little plot mm. that they're hatching or something, and then it just kind of falls apart right yeah. away.
3: Yeah, right, exactly. You other get than the hand in the pants. Oh yeah. Right, that that part totally saves it the whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then. Um, and then, uh, so now we have uh, uh, Corvin uh, Who's still following Edmund And uh, he tells Brandon To search the city for every redhead uh, Now that they know that The male hippie is real And not imaginary And Brandon makes a little joke that says Boy, it's a good thing we're not in Ireland
2: <laughs> That's nationalist
3: uh, And Corvin Corvin just is, Bring on the no, phone time, no time for humor at all <laughs> it, all business He's a um, Brit. exactly so Joan strikes up a deal um, what, what do I have written here um, Joan strikes up a deal to find uh, the redhead with the $20 as we discussed um, the next scene she calls Frank to tell him that she has some information about Carol but can't tell him over the phone or, I don't, don't know, know if that. she even mentions she doesn't mention Carol um Maybe she does. And Edmund, of course, is listening on the other end. Joan says that she has proof that will convict someone else in our family, but at least Frank will not be um, will not be convicted or not be suspected. And that she's going to the park to meet this person now to get the information. And he's always uh, looking for money, for drugs. So we assume it's the redhead. Um, and in the very next scene, we see Joan and she's got her throat cut and she's dead and uh, Frank is there to identify the body and he is very cool and calm and collected totally considering it's his daughter. Um, so, I mean, and I was thinking that there was going to be some sort of musical something that would go along with this revelation of Joan's dead body, but it was just completely silent. Um, so I don't know if that was done on purpose or what, but, um, it was a very odd scene. So, um, we 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 cut to uh corvin who is uh sitting with carol and having tea and um it's a pretty important part of the movie that you don't recognize as important until later but uh he asks her if she knew about the blackmail incident got started and carol says well yes there was a call made to my father and um so corvin asks uh if her father had ever mentioned the call and she said yes uh, and enter uh, and Edmund enters the uh, the room at that moment and overhears uh that that question um, and they have their pleasantries and say hello and and that's really all that happened in that scene at that point um, meanwhile, the police have have taken the redhead into custody um, and he says something about a hunchback and yeah he gave the caretaker of the i think he gave the caretaker of the church some money so that he could get the keys to get into the church or something. And he hates everybody cause he's a hunchback. And
2: I was really confused about that part. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even at dr- on drugs at that point. So no, you he, blame he, wanted, that.
3: he needed some, I, I guess they were just trying to say that, uh, that's how he was able to get into the church, but you know that didn't really mean anything or make any difference.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I was getting excited to see a hunchback.
3: <laughs> I That's thought right one of them was going to go, look, I am a hunchback. And you'd be <laughs> like, oh, you had it hidden this whole time. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> so we're back at the police office, and uh, Corvin and Edmund are sitting there discussing the case. And Corvin is convinced that uh, the redhead killed Joan, and tried to kill Carol, but he's not convinced that he killed Julia. Um, Corbin said, the person who killed Julia is the person she was blackmailing, only she wasn't blackmailing Frank. Um, and Edmund leaves, and Corbin, um, Corbin says he knows who the killer is, except for there's one contradiction in the facts. Um, and I think that this contradiction is if two hippies were really there and saw the the murder then why haven't they said anything I think that's what he's trying to figure out
1: I thought it was more that if Frank
3: killed the chick why would he kill his daughter well right exactly but I think that at, at this point Corvin knows who the real murderer is and he's holding back because he doesn't have all of the facts straight yet it's a because girl. of those hippies are up to the previous scene uh, where he's talking <clears throat> to Carol, I think he figured out, you know, what he needed to know. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, there's, there's just one more thing that needs to happen before he could make his final assessment.
3: Right. And that last thing that needs to happen is the, the hippies, uh, are brought to the scene of the crime and they recount, first of all, they recount the tale of when Carol and Joan followed them to the old theater and, uh, joan asked the hippies if they had ever seen Carol before and they say well we're not sure um we might have um we've been to Julia's uh and we were there a couple of weeks ago at night during a thunderstorm but we couldn't have remembered anything because we were loaded on acid um <laughs> and that's they, how acid works exactly and when they had <laughs> when they had heard about the murder a few days later uh, they didn't come forward because they weren't sure that they didn't do it themselves because they were so high on acid, anything could happen. Um, and so only Carol and Joan based, this is, you know, the hippies recounting their information, only Carol and Joan knew that they were there that night. And so when the news came out that the police were on to another suspect uh, other than Frank, then um, they tried to they tried to kill Carol and they killed joan to cover their tracks so um Mm. the police and frank start to theorize that someone else was also in julia's uh flat and carol hid this information from the therapist in order to cover uh cover cover for that particular person and while they're discussing this theory a call comes in um and it's brandon who is at the scene of edmund who has shot himself in the head and left a note saying, I killed Julia Juer. Uh And so they basically saying, we've got a confession, we've got a suicide note. Um, so obviously all, that can't be him. It, it all makes sense, and we're going to c- close the case. Um, but, of course, the case is not closed. So we finally come to the final scene. Um, and it's however many weeks later... Um, and Carol is standing outside of the uh, in, in the graveyard, uh, obviously at her father's uh, grave. And Corvin walks in and um, starts to reveal the information that he has. Uh, he reveals the scene where he asks Carol about the phone call, where Edmund is listening in. And basically, Corvin's theory is: look, if your father had told you about this phone call he would have also told you that uh, he has suspected Frank was a target of the blackmail uh, but since Carol didn't know this and no one else had told her this then the only way she could have known about the phone call was if she was on the other end of the phone call when it was being made uh, and so they flash uh, to that scene with Carol and Julia Um, And Julia calling Edmund and Carol, um, cutting off the phone call at the last minute and saying, "Okay, I'll give you the money. So Corvin says he has the proof that he needs. Um, Carol uh, killed Julia Jewer. But once she noticed the hippies, she rushed off quickly uh, in in a hurry, in a frantic hurry, leaving her scarf and fur coat and knife behind. Um, And invented the dream and told it to her therapist in hopes of making a case of schizophrenia, which she already knew would work because she knew the case. Um, So uh, we basically have, uh, at least as far as the film is concerned, the motive and all of the information tied up. Uh, Corvin states that Edmund uh, figured out the truth at the exact same moment that Corvin did, and that's why he killed himself. Uh, to try to save his daughter from uh, being uh, convicted. Uh, so they lead Carol down the uh, path. The cop car arrives. Uh, she's seated in the back, and the car drives away. And we're left with a ferry boat riding down the canal, giving a tour of wherever they're giving a tour of. And the credits roll.
2: Dun-dun-dun. My head hurts.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> so guys
2: dun, okay, well, dun, dun. Chris I only, think you better take a drink
3: only only two only two raspberries
2: well <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: trying to because uh, to be honest um, that's like an uncontrollable thing that I do I don't realize that I'm doing it um, <laughs> just like singing and rapping the parts of songs that I barely know um, so <laughs> since it was brought to my attention I was trying to Like make sure because like there there's definitely a couple in there that I could have done, but (laughs) well I'm gonna do them now.
2: He only disrespects me like that.
1: No, Eric, (laughs) on your face, it's all over you. Okay, no, um, (laughs) no, but um, what did um you think about it,
2: Eric? Well. I guess just watching it recently just trying to let it kind of sink in a lot of the stuff I brought up earlier um, that it you kind of knew it was going to be a different film within the first maybe 10-20 minutes Uh, but I really did enjoy the how stylish it was the cinematography during certain scenes like when uh, he's when the the father's hanging up the phone after eavesdropping on them and he kind of holds it in front of the camera for a while as they continue talking um, I like the the chase scene of the male hippie through the church. Of course, the catacombs, the the Argento esque, and it what it reminded me of was was a film that he didn't really direct but produced later on, uh, the church, I think from '89, um, which was supposed to be like an unofficial sequel to the demons movies that he was doing. And that's what this this scene really uh, made me feel like watching it, and uh, just going from the the sprawling. Uh, lawns of the castle to the gothic darkness of these catacombs and the bowels of the cathedral as she's being attacked by these bats Uh, those were the kind of things that I really ate up and really loved about this film Uh, I thought that the gore was very um, that's that's kind of his trademark Uh, yet in this film it almost felt a little bit more restrained outside of that I guess exploitative scene with the dogs uh, but in a way, it had its own stamp. That this was this was Fulci's gore. Like uh, we were talking about that, the scene when they go to look at the dead body and just how freakishly pale she was, and those kind of old, festering, dried-up stab wounds. Uh, that's a lot different than the the gore that we've been watching with Argento films, where he makes it very uh, colorful and artistic. This this felt a lot more grisly and real. Uh, so so that's something that I. Um, yeah, and then the acting with, with them all kind of being English-speaking actors that also kind of lent this more of a realism uh, feel to it. So that was something that I really, really latched on to. But uh, there were a few raspberries that could blow at it as far as like the the psycho type of exposition towards the, uh, towards the end of just talking and talking and talking, explaining this plot that uh, got way more convoluted than it had to. Um, that's, that's something that I guess kind of pulled me out of the film as well as um, just, I don't know, the, the pacing. I guess that's kind of a problem some people have with Jolly films. Uh, this one wasn't as bad as, as other ones. I can see how others might, might say it is, uh, but I, I was just, like I said, captivated by the, <laughs> the scenes and the characters and the cinematography of, of it all that I was able to kind of let it go um, and get there lost is, in the
1: There is a little, like, like, mid-second act. A lot of these movies just kind of, uh, like, it's almost like the movie doesn't know what it's going to do. It's like, uh, should we progress? You know, it's there's, that, there's always that weird moment. And for me, that moment hit in a time when I don't think it should have, which was the chase scene. I'm I I'm like God. This is lagging. Like I that was the first time through the whole movie that I was just like I went and looked at my phone to see what time it was.
2: Yeah, that's that's actually when I wrote down the note about the pacing. I'm like, all right, uh, you know these these chase scenes are always kind of fun and thrilling, but just and I, I just really like how he for could, a really yeah, long time. It was fun to see the scenery that he chased her through, but mm-hmm. as a as the as it progressed, it's like, alright, just end this whole thing so we can either get on with the plot or um, or at least maybe they should have saved it for closer to the end and added a little bit more suspense to it. But, yeah, just, just the realism of all of it all, the, the women in it, I thought were... I don't know if I'm going to be judged for this, but I thought they you were know, actually yeah. kind of attractive. Uh, Joan, you know, she wasn't the best actress, but I thought she was kind of a natural beauty. Uh, well, Joan's
1: my my little my little honey from freaking Five
2: Dolls, dude. Yeah, yeah, she's got that that kind of. I mean, I guess she's playing the daughter of someone in this film, but I'll pretend that she's of age. Um, and in Florinda, she's got kind of that exotic beauty from being from South America. So
1: now, see, my thing is, I fucking can't stand her. Yeah, she's like. She's a little too I expressive. Really, I just did not like her. I don't like how, like, her face has like, for someone who looks like she hasn't really had any work done on her face, how come there's like no expression in it? Like, even when she's like in the throes of passion, <clears throat> she basically has the same face. It's either her eyes are shut or her mouth's open. You know, yeah. I just, I really. Like, I would have rather have spent time with any other woman in that film than her. I really just... She just did not do it
2: for me. She actually, I think... A lot of the the reviews I've read of this film are people kind of giving her accolades as being just this this tour de force, this great actress in this film... (sighs) stands above the rest you could
1: put a fucking broom in that and got the same fucking performance and the broom probably would have fallen down the grass hill better
2: (laughs) she's great as the the crazy woman in Don't Torture a Duckling but this yeah this role might have been miscast for her I think
3: yeah and there's another film um, another giallo that the guy from the guy who directed the fifth chord directed a film called Footprints or Footprints on the the Moon. Moon yeah and she's in that. and She's supposed to be very good in that too. But you know, it depends on whether you like her or not. And and I, I, I wasn't as put off by her, um, by her acting as much as Creep was. But the one thing I couldn't figure out was whether I found her attractive or not. I couldn't tell. Like from one scene to the next, is she hot? Is she not? I'm, I. It was weird. It, she's she's got a, a very like chiseled, kind of square face. Um,
1: she's and very
3: mannish yeah but There's, the other thing too i mean there
1: was a geographical monopoly on hot chicks in this so she was like hanging out with deborah deborah's uh, very pretty and then yeah. freaking uh, jenny jenny's my favorite she was great
2: yeah that's another one i wanted to bring up just that crazy plume of hair that she had oh my
1: god dude
2: <laughs> and then she was like all like almost licking on that horse it
1: was like whoa is this turning me on or what? I don't understand what's <laughs> happening to me right now. <laughs> but um I don't know, like for me I uh <clears throat> I did a uh kind of like pro and con list because I I have the tendency to like when we talk about stuff And you're like, so what'd you think about it? Like, I immediately want to just like throw all the shit out. Like, oh, this sucked because blah, 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 blah. But like, there's parts that I do like about stuff, but I feel like I totally outshadow that with all of the crap that I talk on it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be more legitimate right now. I'm going to make a list of things I like, things I didn't like, and I'm going to try to wrap my head around this and see what I felt about it. And you know, just try to be like a a a nice guy here. But um a little. But uh so we'll start with cons right off the bat. The whistling I could not handle. It was (laughs) it was just too much. Um The thing that's weird about the cinematography in this movie is that there were some things in it that I thought were amazing and some things that I thought were just awful. Like There were so many jump cuts in this. And the jump cuts were so... um, So frequent in each scene. And then it would happen again so quickly. And then a lot of the times when the jump cuts were happening... We were having like really hard zooms on them too. And it just... The idea... I understand the idea here is... Is that we have this character who... When you watch the movie, from the from the very beginning, you automatically are going to say to yourself, Oh, she's the one who did it. Obviously, it was her. We just saw her do it. Like, you know, like, how, how could this be that tricky of a story? But then there's, like, misdirection and red herrings and all this other stuff. And you're, then, like, halfway through, you're like, Well, maybe it's not her. And then you're like, no, it was like at the end, you're like, oh, you fucking idiot. You were right the first time, but there wouldn't have been a story without all of this other shit. But it's like, so what we have is all of these like great big master shots and all these great things. And then whenever we're dealing with her, we're like in super tight close up shots. So when it's like, we're trying to like, we almost never see her in a medium. It's like super tight and it's usually handheld. And it's just, it's, to make you anxious and make you feel uneasy because that's what the character's feeling. But I didn't like the character. So it was annoying to me, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, but as far as like this, the cinematography parts of this film that I did like, there were a lot of things like, um, like we were talking about the split screen stuff. And then, like, these, like, dual focus shots where um, you have someone focused in the foreground and in the background, but they can't cross the line because the line's blurry. Uh, John Carpenter um, did this a lot, like, in the fog and stuff like that. But the scene where, like, the butler's answering the phone and she's at the table, um, those shots were done really, really well, you know? And that kind of stuff shows that there was obviously a lot of thought and skill in some of this movie. But then the next scene when she's sitting at the dinner table and she's looking at people across the table, it's like the shakiest handheld shit I've ever fucking seen. And I think if anything, the reason why that probably got cut out of the original American release of this was just because it, nothing really happens and it's a fucking ugly
3: fucking scene. It's just shot bad is it the one where um, she blows the smoke and the smoke kind of comes in, in into the into the frame? It's
1: right after she gets off the phone and she's sitting at the table and she's looking at... Um, or no, it's right before that. And she's looking at her husband and then looking at Deborah and then looking at Joan. Oh, okay. And then the camera's going back and forth and they keep looking into the camera. And it's like jumping over these candles in the center yep. of the table. It's just a mess. It's a really ugly... Shot, and I understand if the purpose in it is to show her anxiety level building, but it just wasn't done right and The thing that is also kind of weird on a shot level is that whenever she's in the therapist's office or actually anything in the therapist's office, the shots are super tight and they it, almost uncomfortably tight to and I thought it was just when she was in the office with him because it might have been a small office or something but then when the scene comes up with um luke skywalker and um prince charles talking to dr shivago i'm screwing all these names up obviously um and they're sitting there talking there's all of these shots where they're trying to like get two people in a frame to shoot and so, like, the dad's, like, looking off to the side. And the doctor comes up kind of next to him that's kind of looking towards him. But they don't want the dad to turn because then he would be out of frame. And it's just, like, everything felt so fucking weird. And there was a lot of soft focus and weird shit just happening in the um, therapy room that it just... It, it took me out every time when we would go in there just because everything felt really weird. But, um, so that's that. Um, but another thing that kind of brought me out of it, I guess, um, unless you guys want to make a comment about the cinematography on that.
3: No, I think, I think you pretty much nailed it.
2: Now, would you consider some of that being like the editor? I know Fulci worked pretty closely with the same editor for many of his films, so I don't know if he kind of gave him free rein to do a lot of those strange jump cuts and stuff.
1: I would think the jump cut parts would have to be, but the I'm not some, like the some of it's it. just like bad camera work, you know, yeah. like or but again, like I thought the therapist room was probably really small, but then there's this shot where you see um, the husband in like a reflection of something. And it looks like he's fucking, like, 20 feet away. So I didn't understand, at that point, how big that room was. And that's when I just started getting confused about it. But they did um, a lot of shit where, like, they would have um, practical lights lighting the sets and have the lights showing. So, like, whenever the cops would come in, there would be, like, just standing lights, like, shining Fucking super bright light in and out of parts of a room, and that was a really neat kind of thing. And when they first go in and we first see the cops and the the lights are going like, like when they're taking the pictures and everything, and the lights are getting brighter and dimmer and brighter. That was great. I, I'm like, that's fucking really fucking cool, you know. So um I, I enjoyed that. But one of the things that. Uh, was hard for me for a while on it was that it was in London. And yeah. I know. I but that it, was going to bug you. Yeah, dude, it kind of did. And it's not <laughs> that I don't like that stuff because I watch a ton of BBC stuff. You know, I right. watch a lot of British shows. But when I want to get curled up in some sticky, greasy jally, I want to be fucking in Rome exactly. messing up shit, you know? And like, so. But I got over it fairly quickly. Um, Once I saw how amazing a lot of the, like, sets were, I, I got out of it. You know, I was like really irritated at first, but, um, yeah, I... kind of, of, kind of, of, kind of, of like,
2: floating between... Am I watching a yellow film, or am I watching, a like, a hammer film? The totally! There was a couple moments like that, for sure.
0: <laughs> um, let me see, the, the gore,
1: like, I know he's a big fan of the linger, and in the cut I have, I feel like a lot of it, he lingered too much. But it was weird that you don't really see anyone get killed you know like you see the the murder in the dream which was probably really how it happened but without all the fans blowing and all that other shit but like you don't see the and I and you use the dad's suicide as a body count right Chris no
3: I did not put the dad's suicide as a body count but I should um you have Julia you have um Joan, or Joan, and um, there's a third. I guess I must have, I must have done the, the body count with the, the dad.
2: Because I'm trying to think of who else and it could have been. Low, and it's not by the same person, obviously. Right. But it's so, yeah. such a
1: weird movie. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, that whole bit that I really didn't like the dog thing and it's not because I'm like I love dogs because I do love dogs but that's not why I just didn't understand why it was there and I didn't understand why it was going on for as long as it did Um, (laughs) but as far as the things that I did like about it Jenny is by far my favorite part of this movie and it's just because her hair was amazing. And that fucking white coat with no sleeves was just, oh, she was so fucking cool. Um, but, um, my other favorite character in this movie is Mrs. Gordon. And she is in like this weird lime green outfit with like negligee nighty kind of thing. And this lime green apartment with this fucking lemon cake in the <laughs> foreground with a red cherry on it and the colors, it, it's just it looks so cool and then she's like just this like older lady and she's just like a mouthy, nosy neighbor and while she's on the phone there's like a chauffeur putting his clothes on in the background for no reason, just like yeah I, I just bone that guy and now I'm gonna gossip and like just like that whole bit I was just like I want more of her I want more <laughs> of that right now because it just that looked... Great, Like, that was just really, really cool. Um, The dreams were really cool. I I thought for sure as soon as I started noticing it was a dream, I thought for sure I was going to be, like, really turned off by it. But um, I ended up really liking that part. And I also liked how there were so many things that you see from different points of view later in the film. That was, like, a really well done way way of doing it because i've seen that before where it did not work well and it was just like god we're beating a dead horse i've already seen this but like the part where uh jenny's uh, not jenny jones talking to jenny on the other side of the commune or whatever you know and we kind of know a little bit more about what they're talking about because originally we didn't see that side of it the other end of the phone call just all that shit i thought was um just smart um there was one bit of furniture choice that i did not like there was a lot of um i think it's called broke baroque um style furniture in her apartment and uh i did not enjoy that as much definitely not italian i i did not like it (laughs) i was like man her apartment is so cool but here's the other thing too like if you're doing a murder investigation and you go to someone's house and all of their art pieces are like the scariest shit you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like how how does that not That's come like, up? <laughs> yeah. Totally, right? Um not that I want to implicate myself in what I have hanging up here, but um I don't know, just the, the offices were really cool. The the forensics in this I thought was really smart. And I like it when films do stuff that actually makes sense and works you know like i i really really like not that. looking into the retina of an eye shooting a laser into it you know that that wasn't bad that wasn't <laughs> bad um <laughs> but th- i mean we had two amazing spiral staircases we had one that was super yep. tight um that was just like the tightest staircase i've ever seen and then the widest staircase i've ever seen so that yeah. was like a cool little um. thing. The catacomb shit was cool. The Oregon shit was cool. I really liked the dad. And that was another thing I was going to ask you about, Chris. I know you were saying that like, you felt like there wasn't really any amateur detectives in this. And I felt like there was like three or four, but they all were just really bad. Right. You know? Like the, I mean, Frank was doing stuff. The dad was doing stuff. Um, the blonde chick was doing stuff. The, the fucking killer was doing stuff. And that's another thing. She looked like a fucking killer the whole time. There was fucking <laughs> crazy jackets and hats.
3: Like, <laughs> she tight. just,
1: like, put a knife in her hand, you know? Like, I don't know.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I feel as if the amateur detective criteria needs to be satisfied um, you, you know, over, over a certain length of time, it's like, you know, if, if everybody's trying to figure this thing out, but they're kind of just doing a little bit here and a little bit there, like what was going on here. I, I I don't consider it to be the, 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 the typical, um, the the, the, the typical characteristic of the amateur detective who really in, in most of the jolly, it's like, well, you've got this person who's, Running a, an investigation in parallel to the uh, to the police, or maybe is running an investigation without the police even being in on it. But he's following clues, and he's going or or she is going from you know point A to point B. But in this, it was a lot of you know uh, this person knows a little bit about this, and this other person knows this much, and this other person knows this much, and they string it all together. And Corvin really, you know, he's kind of in control of everything, I and mean, he he figures it out. Um, Now, does it piss you off that you don't
1: see him figuring stuff out? Because you you witness all of the other characters in this movie trying to figure shit out and trying to make things happen. And then every time we see Corbin, he, he he gets something and he's like, oh, this obviously makes me think someone else did it. Like, that was like the whole thing. He kept doing it. I was just going, come on, like bite on something, dude.
3: Right. Yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, it 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 was it was like like you guys both said. I mean, it was a very different kind of giallo. It, it wasn't um, your typical giallo. and and you know, I I kind of get the feeling that you know it had a little bit of a style of you know um, you're you're in London. It's not as flashy and fancy as some of the Italian jolly. Uh, Or the ones that take place in Italy where the cops are kind of like um, a little bit on the on the comic relief side and uh, Everything is kind of a little bit more proper. Yeah, and maybe the maybe the the emphasis was a little bit more on on uh, police, you know Let's let's have the police kind of do Kind of what they do in Scotland Yard and have it be you know proper and and well and well orchestrated and and well uh, well investigated uh, and maybe that was maybe that was the idea behind Corbin and and what Corbin was all about but um you know i i um i think that uh yeah i, I don't i don't know if i really noticed that he was figuring everything out you know off off camera or off screen um i guess i just kind of um i'm watching it with you know following following the story and and I guess when I watch um, when I watch these films a lot of times I don't stop and think okay what was going on behind the scenes in order for this to, to be happening at this point I, I kind of just watch it a little bit more blindly and then maybe start thinking about those kinds of things after the film's over um, instead of thinking about them while they're going on I don't know It's a different way of, of watching watching jolly um, you know we all we all kind of we all have our own habits when we're... When no, we, we don't. Live. We're all the exact same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, I I, totally, totally get that. Um, as far as... Um, the, uh, the only other thing about... Uh, that I wanted to touch was... The score was kind of weird. Because it is a... It has moments of... Like... A beautiful score that I like in my freaking jally and then moments of like what is that noise? You know, like just there was a lot of um I was I was back and forth on it was my only other right. myth about it. But um all in all I just I I guess I feel like this isn't as fun as most of these movies are but it's a good watch for sure. You yeah, know what it's, I'm saying it's,
3: it's definitely not um your your party jalo. Um it's uh it's probably meant to be taken in a little bit more seriously than than um strip nude or something. Um, but not yeah. everything has to be compared to strip nude. It, even though it should be, it doesn't have <laughs> to be. <laughs> It
1: should be anyway. Though. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, top that one for realsies. Um, but, like, I the one thing I did notice, though, more than anything else, um, was how influential this film was to other filmmakers later. Because, like, and I'm sure Fulci didn't reinvent the wheel with this by any means, but I just noticed so many things... That I've seen so many other directors do later on uh, right. from Cronenberg to De Palma to Carpenter to um, and like how you were talking about Argento you know it's just like it It was obvious that this whether or not it did amazing everywhere it was influential to
3: people right yeah I agree uh, it, it's I, I think it's it's a really um, well you know it's a it's a well photographed film it's it's fun to watch um, just because the visuals are so kind of enticing and um, they they just kind of pull you in um, I, I find that to be the case with most of uh, the films in this genre for the most part that, that they're just interesting looking enough that you know you can watch them and if you really want to pay attention to what's going on you can um in some situations it's probably better if you don't um and you might you know because because you know when i watched lizard woman skin i this this time i probably watched it i probably watched it maybe five or six times before watching it this time and um the first couple of times i watched it i may have been distracted in the middle of watching it or i may have paused it and came back to it later and then when you finally get to the end scene where they you know they take carol off in the cop car i'm like wait a minute it was her it wasn't wait was it her i thought it was and no it's not but yes it is and you know so i had to watch it again and you know because i had to do the notes for the plot lines i had to watch it and pay attention to all the little things that they were trying to say and of course um once you do that you start to realize that like you guys said i mean they threw a bunch of stuff in there that probably wasn't even supposed to make sense and maybe the italian translation of it is a, is a completely different than what they dubbed yeah. in english so um you know, but for the most part the,
1: the the actual story and motive and everything behind the main murder that they're investigating it does make sense and it right. it works
3: and and in fact, it's really not that complicated. It's like At hey, all. You, these two women who are in an affair, and one's blackmailing the other, and so she kills her, and uh, she writes it down and pretends it was a dream. And so uh, why did she
2: react the way she did when when she was feeling paranoid or ang- having that anxiety? It or was, was all just fake. All right? like,
1: but that's yeah, another thing because then was... she had to have started going to the therapist before all of this because she knew that she might
2: want to kill her later yeah that's the only part of it that was kind of muddy to me just the uh, was she faking it or had she been lying to herself for so long that she was starting to believe it
3: right kind of a chicken and egg kind of situation alright well what kind of I'm sure it was never meant to be pondered to this degree
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I want to just scream from the rooftops that I'm fucking tired of that argument from people
3: <laughs> <laughs> because
1: just as a director, okay yes I am um, and the from the egos that I've heard that some of these people have <clears throat> I think that all of these people Fulci included wanted everyone to like salivate and like go over and over and over their work you know like it might not have been thought that way of by the producers because they're just trying to turn out a product but i really think a lot of the filmmakers were had a big enough ego to where they want people to mull over their stuff but again when it gets to like geography on it like are people in Italy going to be as nitpicky as people here? Probably not, because that's what they're used to, because they obviously don't mind the dubbing. You know, even in Italian, it's dubbed, you know? Right. Right. So th- they throw a lot of caution to the wind with that. But, um, I mean, I, I really think the filmmakers want people to dig into it. Yeah, I, I would
2: think that Ful- Fulci would and Argento but there's a, there's others that maybe not as much now if
1: any of you people bring up Sergio Martino and say anything bad about him I am going to start slamming things down in this room
3: <laughs> right now which is the other thing too is like you know are we did, you know did they ever envision that these films would be criticized with the kind of of knowledge and and that we have in this particular age where we've 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 had all these other films come after them yeah um you know and we've and we're very jaded to realism um whether it be you know visual realism with cgi or realism in that you know you've you got to make sure that you've got a very tight script or whatever um you know we've got this kind of we've got this we've got this bias as people criticizing movies that are you know 50 or some years old um so sure you know I, as a director in 1972 i would love it if my giallo was talked about by academic people but do you think um, someone walked up to fulci and said
1: hey guess what in 40 years people are going to be watching this on their phones he's yeah, like what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say to me alien person watching things on a phone
1: Oh, McFly, that sounds just
2: fascinating.
1: Tell me more.
2: I bet he'd be disgusted. You can only watch films on the screen.
1: Yeah, dude. The big screen. That must be totally confusing. (laughs) We're going to watch it on an inch by inch. It'll be great. You'll love it. Yeah. So as far as um, production notes go senior phantom
2: all right yes this film from 1971 did also go by schizoid in america directed and written by lucio fulci uh, along with three other people that wrote the script with him so once again one of those kind of a lot of cooks in the kitchen type of situations Uh, carlo Rombaldi did the effects in this one we've talked about him before uh, being involved with italian films and then going on to do uh, the big effects for like ET and uh, working behind the scenes on Alien, but uh, this this is the film that he was sort of uh, I guess most notorious for because of the there was a court battle where he was was brought in to sort of save Fulci's ass by showing them how these dogs were indeed not real dogs but uh, ones that he created that apparently looked so realistic that uh, Fulci was charged with obscenity um, for that scene so he kind of uh, had to come in and and show show off his handiwork which I think was the first time that uh, an effects wizard had to come in and uh, show off how their effects were fake so it's kind of an interesting little tidbit but then uh, yeah the cinematography we kind of touched on that that was a guy that uh, worked with Fulci um, a couple times I think but uh, his name is Luigi Cuvier. I totally butchered that, but he actually has worked on, <laughs> he, he actually did the cinematography for Deep Red. so a little giallo tie there, um, but also uh, some other famous Italian films like uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. I always have to kind of slow down when I say that title, but um, yeah, so that's those are the kind of the people, the crew behind the scenes. Uh, in the film itself, of course, we talked about Florinda Balkan. Who played Carol Hammond.
1: I'm just kidding. Okay, come on.
2: (laughs) She's a a Brazilian actress. She came over to Italy being discovered by an Italian director and was in that film, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, and is actually the uh, David D. Donatello Award winner a couple times. That's uh, Italy's version of the Oscar. So apparently she does have some sort of acting chops. Uh, thanks. Then, thanks. Uh,
1: thanks, yeah.
2: <laughs> then playing the role of Luke Skywalker, uh, A.K.A. Frank Hammond, was Jean Sorel. He's French, and uh, moved between French and Italian film. Uh, he was in that uh, the perversion story that Chris was talking about earlier, and uh, also had acted with Florinda before in an earlier Jello film from '68, a, a Complicated Girl, is the name of that one in in American. And then uh, in her, I guess, first role is uh, Anita Strindberg as J- Julia, though the the role is very limited in this film. It's also it's a very important role. Uh, she is Swedish, so we're getting people from all over the map in this film. Uh, this was something. This was her first yellow film, but uh, she would also star in the very same year in *Case of the Scorpion's Tale, and then the later the the films *Who Saw Her Die* and your vice is a locked room and only I have the key uh, before moving on to other genre films in Italy in the late 70s so, Women in Cell Block 7 Yes women in, She was a women in prison film What else does she have in her <laughs> that's catalog? A, that's a freaking
1: bomb track right there man <laughs> So those are some notes I was able to gather Okay, well as far as um, nerdy trivia stuff um, the girl uh is her last name Bakken? or is that just Could how be. how it's written? Um, Carol um had an 18 year love affair with Marina Chicogna, Damn it, who was the producer of Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion? So That's um. Awesome smackin' clams was not out of her repertoire. <laughs> so I could have come up with a better way of saying that, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> and then Ellie Gall, or Ellie Galini um, is that uh, girl from who was credited as Justine Gall in um, Five Dolls. But um, one of the cool little bits here is that Penny Brown, who plays... Um, uh, Jenny our fun little hippie um, she is most famous in Italy as a singer and she did some Italio disco tracks in the early 80s um, one you could find on YouTube called no escape and then she did a couple under the name of Susan Morgan like, take my love, and she will come back running. Oh my. And um, the funniest thing about this is that the record company, these uh, records were put out by, was called SPQR, which stood for Sound Production Quality Record, and their logo was a giant eight-titted dog and people standing underneath it trying to suckle it. Which was just hysterical Um, (laughs) She was also in a band called The Artificials um, And had a hit song called Turn Me On And then in 1970 she did a song with Giorgio Albertazzi Called Miraggio di Estate If I said that right And that song is like six minutes long And it's just him talking and I can't really find any part where she's actually in it, but she's on the cover as she's doing the song too. But he's like, "Oh, I love this stuff! Da, da, da. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh!" And um, so that's her career, man. Um, so that's kind of fun. But as so far when you're watching those videos, is that how you ended up on South African rap? No, actually, um, that was um. um recommended to me by a friend oh so you didn't go down like a big rabbit hole no but i I tend to do that though (laughs) um but as far as the different cuts of the movie um now apparently and i think do uh what year was was schizoid released in america that was released in like 72 right yeah it was
2: very shortly after okay uh, yeah featuring like the bats on the cover yeah Okay,
1: well, so in 2005, um, there was a U.S. version of Lizard in Woman's Skin that was um, 95 minutes and 36 seconds. The Italian version, however, is 97 minutes 49 seconds. But the part that where this gets really confusing is that the U.S. cut is missing seven over seven minutes of footage from the Italian version, even though it's only less than two minutes shorter. Because the Italian version had a bunch of different stuff in it that even um, some of the stuff the American version did not have and some of the stuff the American version had that the Italian version didn't have. Mm -hmm. So that's when things start getting weird. Yeah. So, like, for instance, Carol running through the hall in the train car, there's 11 seconds of that missing out of the American version. Um, uh, Everything from 20 seconds missing of them laying down on the bed. Like, there were three more different shots of them falling down on the bed. Um, Seven seconds of the orgy party, um, 22 seconds of split screen between the dinner party and the sex at the fun party, um... I have all this written out, but honestly it's a lot. And um when I started writing it I didn't think it was gonna add up to that much. But um now out of the Italian version, um the part where uh Julia is kissing the man at the party, that was cut out of the Italian version for some reason. Well, hmm. um, uh, let me see, uh and there's some parts of the Italian version that were cut out due to film tears from the original transfer, so that's kind of weird. So when it was um, when it was put out, uh, Shriek Show put it out in 2005, and they did like a two-disc set with one disc being the American version and one being the Italian version. And the Italian version was a more complete cut of the film, but the quality of the movie was shit. Like, it was really, really bad. And the American version looked better, but a ton of shit was missing out of it. Right. So then um, uh, a company called Federal the next year put out um, the Italian version only and cleaned that up a bit. So then in 2007, Shriek Show put it out again, Um, with both audio versions and a better cut so that's really the I guess what's out as of now is the definitive unless there's a blu-ray that I'm missing and I don't know about Um, but as far as that the only real difference between the American and the Italian versions is during the dream sequences in the Italian versions they're all blurry and the nudity's blurry And all that stuff, so it's more dreamy-like. And I've seen clips of what that looks like, and it is really blurry. It's like not even like just soft; it's like really blurry. So um, that's really the real big difference.
2: (laughs) Ta-da! I like what I hear. So it's it's kind of like how they used to do those old TV edits of like of horror films before they had. VHS or something. Oh yeah, dude.
3: Maybe. They were. I, I guess they were trying to to mask some of the nudity <clears throat> under the guise of, oh, it's a dream sequence, so we'll just put some hazy, you know, vaseline on the lens kind of thing. Yeah, they really coded it,
1: dude.
2: Like that was that was
1: some weird stuff.
2: Yeah. And I wish I could remember more the differences between schizoid and the the Italian version but I really don't think it's that substantial other than the entirety of the dog scene cut out. I think
1: honestly the one thing that's cut out of schizoid is the scene with um Mrs. Gordon and if that's the case then that totally blows schizoid for me because other than that I was thinking if schizoid is relatively shorter I might actually enjoy that better. Uh, yeah it but it definitely't have tries the to...
2: and then it's not worth watching <laughs> yeah, right yeah, it definitely tries to like refocus it in a different direction for some reason. Maybe they didn't think american I guess attention span even way back then was worth putting them <laughs> through this film, so i don't yeah, I don't really know. What
1: do you think about all that,
3: Chris? I don't know. I was actually um, distracted by something going on in my house when you guys were talking about
2: <laughs> You're like, I
3: felt
1: like I was in school and you yeah. just called on me to go up to the front yeah, of the class. Definitely, you definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, right. we were just asking what we should get you for your vacation. We were going to buy oh, you a cool. present. We were talking about it. Um, but since you weren't paying attention, we're not going to do it now. j and so... Black Bottle. <laughs> Empty bottle of J&B black. You got it, buddy. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, so for the most part, um, it. I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, there was just some things about it that didn't make me scream, strip nude for your killer, right, Chris? Right. And um...
3: what? What does? <laughs> Other than that movie.
1: Well, um, the funny thing is, I, um, I I was sitting here the other day going, okay, look, like I obviously have a little bit of a different taste here than um, most people walking into these movies. So I'm like, let me try, kind of like how you have done, Chris, with your site, let me try to figure out like what I look for in these movies and what I like. And let me see if I could come up with a way to make this work for me. And um, I, I'm not going to say what I did, but I came up with a very archaic caveman version of what you do that is, um, what that is like, focused on my likes. And as funny as it is, dude, it totally worked. And um, it has strip nude for your killer at number one, and it has... <laughs> And it has um, you know, Bay of Blood and Four Flies down at the bottom. And at the top, you know, it's got Strip New for Your Killer, Taste of the Bloody Iris and Torso. Like, it's it's exactly how I feel, and this movie fell right in the middle. So it's it's my my own secret recipe and it seems to work. So,
3: so obviously fur coats is on the list.
1: Oh, especially when it's chinchilla, because that's like, <laughs> you know how many chinchillas had to die for her to kill that girl in that jacket.
3: But I mean that like, there was there was like three or four fur coats in the uh, case of the bloody iris, right? Oof. So, so I, I would. And they were all
1: different kinds. Oh, dude! And it's just so funny because like, um, the more, like for instance, the next movie that we're gonna be doing, um, is uh. I, I just got a message. I don't know if I'm supposed to be quiet about that. Who sent it? it
2: wasn't me. It was the motor- the motorcycle helmet.
1: Oh, it wasn't either of you. Okay, that's fine. Um, it, it thought it said it was you guys. Okay, anyway. No, but the movie we're doing next is The Fifth Chord. And that movie has more amazing staircases than I know what to do with. Yeah, it's just trip. <laughs> Like it's just that movie should be called, a ton of bitching staircases. It's right. fucking. I
2: think that's great. the American. The yeah, that's the American
1: title. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, dude. It's just there's there's just these little things that I just get all geeky about. But um, God, dude, Jenny's hair in this movie, made me want to watch this movie like twelve times. Like it was great.
2: Yeah.
1: So, with that being said.
2: (laughs) So, we're watching fifth chord next time, huh?
1: Yeah, that came in second on the the last little thingy we did. Awesome. Cool. I like that movie. Very much. Cool, cool, cool. You're going to kill it. All right. Well, um, I guess that's it. And um, we will close with the trailer for the fifth chord. So, chow chow, everybody.
3: Chow chow. Ciao. ciao. ciao, ciao.